Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Hello. Hey. Congratulations, you made it to the one service that I will speak at. The ironic thing is, I actually went to college for a preaching degree. Actually, I went to college first for a psychology degree. I was going to be a counselor. And then after like two years of study, I realized I, I really don't want to listen to people's problems. And so I said, maybe that's not for me. You know, it's like I'm, I don't have a lot of mercy. <laughs> Uh, empathy, like all the things that a counselor should have and be able to really understand, and I don't have any good advice, really. So um, so I thought, well, I'm not going to do counseling, and so I said, well, I'll, I'll get a preaching degree. I didn't know if I really wanted to preach or not, but I was like, I need to choose something. So I got a preaching degree, and then I got done with college and realized, ah, I really don't like preaching all that much. Um, and so I, the older I get, the less I really want to do it. And so I used to do it a little more often. And then every, every year I go, Derek, no, I'll do it once. I'll do it one time. So you made it, one, my one time. Um, my name's Keevan. My wife, Stephanie, and I, this is, this is us. We celebrated on the 7th of this month. We celebrated 29 years of marriage. If I have any advice, marry someone you're very good friends with. Um, it's totally worth it. You can just enjoy each other's company, hanging out, good friends. Um, just about any picture you see us somewhere, in the, going somewhere, it is because of her. Like, I'm not a planner. I don't like, oh, I should do this or I should do that. I Honestly, yeah, if it was just me, I probably just wouldn't go anywhere and <laughs> just be boring. <laughs> and... Uh, my wife just, she loves adventure, she loves travel, she loves, and so she's drug us on the other side of the world, we've been everywhere together, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, I prefer a more predictable life, okay, so like we've been here, this is our 21st year at CCF, and so for 21 years, every Wednesday and Sunday, I've been walking in these doors, and I stand out the back door, and I hold it for you, and I say, have a good day, and that's, that's my thing, right? It's very predictable, very predictable, I Every Wednesday, Sunday, I come here, and I love that. I love life being very predictable. Um, some people call it boring, but I mostly just want to live a quiet, peaceful, predictable life. Um, have you anybody seen the movie A Man Called Otto? Yeah, a few, a few of you saw it. It's so good. I, I am the grumpy old man Otto, okay? Like... <laughs> Don't mess up my routine. Um, I just I just love that. But I love also in the movie, he loved his wife because it was his wife that just gave him life. And I'm like, we, yeah, Stephanie and I enjoy watching that together. Um, the fact that I somehow convinced Stephanie to remain in Kirksville for the past 21 years is proof to me that God still works miracles, okay? <laughs> because, I mean, Kirksville people, like, North, I know people make the difference, but like, not that big of a difference. <laughs> and I don't know. It's just like, I have so, I love, I love doing what we do. I absolutely, it fits me perfect. I, 
I went into church ministry because I had a preaching degree. So I was associate minister first, church in Indiana, did high school and young adult. That was good. That was fine. Told them I would not do junior high or below. And then they, of course, tried to get me to do it. And I said, nope. And so Stephanie did it. <laughs> and, and then we went on the mission field to Taiwan. And that was a huge step for me. Um, definitely not predictable. Um, but we loved living in Taiwan and being in Taiwan. And I'll tell you a little more about that a little bit later. And then we came here, right? So the way I look at it is church ministry, especially, you know, 25 years ago, I had to dress up when I went to church. Like there were times I was wearing a tie at church and stuff. And I was like, oh, I don't like this tie business. And so then I went on the mission field and you got rid of the tie. It was, but it still was like... You still dressed up, you know, like doing, being a missionary, you know, you still had to dress up. Campus ministry is perfect <laughs> because literally I could have just worn a t-shirt up here and you guys wouldn't care. And, and so like, I feel like I just found the perfect place where I can just wear my jeans and t-shirt and, and serve. And so that's where we've been. And, and I love the predictability of it. I love just, you know, meeting students from all over the world and uh, helping them and serving them. And, and so I love being here. Uh, but as predictable as life has been for me, for the most part, uh, there have been times when it hasn't always been like that. And probably most of you, even though you're all very young, um, you've probably noticed that in life, life can be quiet and peaceful and predictable one moment, and then what happens? The next moment, chaos unpredictability. Uh, life gets turned upside down. There's uncertainty. Um, this picture right here, here, go back real quick, real quick. Yeah, the one at the top when our kids are very young, uh, that's in Colorado. Now you can go to the next picture. Uh, it reminded me of a time we went to Colorado. Stephanie's parents, her dad was a minister for 40 years, and they lived out in Colorado, which was awesome because we love going to Colorado. Colorado is a beautiful place. How many of you ever driven across Kansas to get to Colorado? Yeah, you guys know. You guys know the plains of Kansas. We used to do a contest to see how far we could see down the road, like looking for a silo or something. We'd try to, and then we'd see how many miles, I think 13 or 14 miles one time was the record. You could just see forever. And one year we're going to Colorado. I had my Pontiac Bonneville's 1994, 48th. 40th anniversary edition, all leather seats, primo car. They just—they don't make mid-sized cars too much like this anymore. They don't even make Pontiacs anymore. Oh, thanks. And I love this car. This car was such a good car, and it was paid for, and everything. And I was—I had it on cruise control, and we're just cruising across Kansas, and suddenly there was like a bad noise, like the engine revved up real high all of a sudden real quick, and I kicked off the cruise control, and then I heard like pieces of metal like falling from my car, and uh, my car started making all kinds of noises, and it stopped getting any power, and we coasted to a stop on the side of the road uh, in the middle of nowhere, and my car was dead completely. Like I lifted the hood and looked at it like I could do anything about it. <laughs> That's what we, that's what us guys do mostly. Most, there are some guys that know, most guys don't. We mostly just look at it and go, yep, it's not doing anything. And, 
I look down the road, and it looks like I can see a gas station. And so I have two young kids and my wife in this car, but I have to, like, go find help. And this was before I had, we didn't have a cell phone, so it wasn't like I could just call somebody on my cell phone. And so, like, I start jogging down this road, and it turns out I don't like to exercise. I don't like to jog. And it turns out, like, I thought it was, like, mile down the road. It was, like, probably 14 miles. No, it was more like, you know, three or four miles, and I just... It just felt like I'm never going to get there. It's like a mirage, you know, in the desert. Kept running, come on. And it literally, finally this lady pulls over, very kind lady from Oklahoma, and she said, I saw your family back there in the car. I don't normally stop and pick up strangers, but I want to, you know, can I help? And I was like, oh, thank you. I'm trying to get to that gas station. So she gives me a ride to the gas station, which turns out to be abandoned and no longer in service. And so she drove me into a town. Anyway, long story short, we finally, a state trooper finally came and found me and drove me back. And we had to tow my car 16 miles back away from Colorado to the closest town. And my car was pronounced dead. I sold it for parts, 100 bucks. I sold my car for $100. Left it in Colby, Kansas. <laughs> it's still there. I wanted, actually, I had just bought a brand new battery for the car, and so when I sold it, I pulled the battery out and said, I'm taking this with me. And that battery sat in my basement and did nothing until it was worthless, but I was like, I am not, I just paid for this battery, I'm not leaving it with this car. And uh, so I took my battery, and that's the way life can be sometimes. It can be glorious, it's exciting, you're going to see the mountains of Colorado, and the next thing you know, you're stranded on the boring plains of Kansas. And, and I think as we read through the Psalms, we're going to see that the unpredictability of life is also, uh, you're going to see that a lot in the Psalms. You're going to hear that a lot from the writers of Psalms, uh, that life isn't always going the way you want it to go. Well, the Psalms, if you flip through your Psalms, if you flip through your Bible, you'll notice that it's actually five books in one. Um, there are five books in the Psalms. And it consists of 150 ancient Hebrew poems and songs and prayers that comes from different eras of Israel's history. About half of them were written by King David. Um, other people like Asaph wrote them. The sons of Korah wrote some. Solomon, Moses, a few. Even, a, even I didn't know this, but even a guy named Ethan and I think Herman maybe co-wrote Psalm 89 or something. I don't know. I was surprised. I was like, oh, my son's name is Ethan. I didn't know he wrote a psalm. And uh, so, and then there's a lot of psalms that don't, we don't know who wrote them, um, but the psalms were written uh, for us, and they're in our Bibles, and we're going to study them this semester, and I want to read real quick what Eugene Peterson, if I can, this book right here, if you want to read any book on the psalms, I would highly recommend Answering God, the Psalms as Tools for Prayer by Eugene Peterson. Uh, it's a very short, that's the kind of books I like, uh, short, um, although he, he is a professor uh, was a professor, rest in peace, Eugene Peterson. He was a professor at Regent in Vancouver. Uh, so sometimes I have to look up some of his words. Um, but he says this about the Psalms in his introduction. He says, the extravagant claim is that the Psalms are necessary. Is necessary too strong a word? They are not necessary to salvation. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not because of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2. Our prayers, whether clumsy or skilled, heretical or orthodox, verbatim from the Psalter, 
or ad lib from a sinking ship give us no merit with God, nor are the Psalms necessary to validate our prayer as genuine. God hears anything we whisper or shout, say, or sing. Right words and correct forms are not prerequisites to a heavenly audience. God is not fastidious in these matters. All the same, they are necessary. The consensus on this throughout the church's praying life is impressive. If we wish to develop in the life of faith, to mature in our humanity, and to glorify God with our entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. They are God's gift to train us in prayer. And I love that. They're God's gifts to train us in prayer. And so hopefully as we study uh, the Psalms this semester, that we're going we're gonna to see what we can learn about God. We're going to see what we can learn about prayer. We're going to see what we can learn about ourselves, our faith, and hopefully so much more as we settle in with the Psalms. So the, tonight I'm going to speak from Psalm 40. Uh, Psalm 40 is one of my favorite Psalms. Uh, it's probably one of my favorites because one of my favorite bands. You guys know U2, obviously, probably. Yes, U2, Bono uh, wrote a song called 40 after this psalm. And if we got time, I'm going to play it at the end. Um, and Bono himself says, you know, all the best songs are co-written by God. And, uh, and so Psalm 40 is where we're going to be. And I think that I can identify pretty easily with King David in this psalm, this is one of his psalms, because it deals uh, with deep personal issues of faith, of fear, of waiting on God. Uh, the psalms has themes of failure, sin, shame, but at the same time, it also has themes of redemption and salvation uh, from that shame. And so this psalm really is a cry to God for deliverance um, from some kind of terrible circumstance but at the same time expresses confident faith that deliverance uh, will come. So we're going to turn to Psalm 40, and we're going to focus mostly on the first three verses, but I want to read the whole psalm so we can get a feel of what David is experiencing. So let's, let's stand, and you can follow along on the screen, um, and I will read uh, Psalms 40 to you. It says this, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the one who makes the Lord his trust, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you plan for us no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burn offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come in a, and it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips as you know, O oh Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and salvation. I do not conceal your love and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, O Lord. May your love and your truth always protect me. 
For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. May all who seek to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation always say, the Lord be exalted. Yet I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, my God, do not delay. You can be seated. So in these first few verses of Psalm 40, I, I, I see several images that, that King David kind of gives to us that I want us to look at. Uh, and the first image that I see there is there in verse 2. Uh, it's not the first image, but it's the first one I want to talk about. And that is the king's pit. Uh, the king's pit. Uh, the message translates it the ditch. The new King James Version calls it the horrible pit. The revised standard version calls it the desolate pit. The ESV says pit of destruction. And the New Living Testament has my favorite, the pit of despair. <laughs> you guys seen Princess Bride? Yes, no one escapes the pit of despair. Uh, there was even a meme about this in 2020 when the pandemic hit. And uh, he's like, oh, let's see, where were we? Oh, yes, the pit of despair. <laughs> and the kid's like, yeah, 2020. Um, it did. It felt, it felt like a pit, right? Pandemic was not real fun. I mean, I loved it, but, um, <laughs> but uh, for most of us, it definitely impacted our life. We were all in the same pit together. And, and so we see this pit that David describes. So what are we supposed to feel when we hear David describing his situation, like being caught in this horrible, desolate pit? Uh, well, the word translated destruction or horrible or desolate kind of refers to stormy waters or roaring waters. Uh, and when you consider that the usual meaning for the word pit is a well or a cistern, you know, the picture I get from David is that he's kind of like he's fallen into this deep, dark well, only the water's not calm and clear. It's, it's like this roaring storm uh, about him. He just, David describes a similar situation in Psalm 69 when he says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. This is not a good place to be. Um, twice in my life, I have nearly drowned. Um, when I was a kid, um, I was with a bunch of older kids at a camp on, in a pond in a canoe, and they thought it would be fun to rock the canoe and let it fill up with water until the canoe just sank and all of them then just swam toward the shore and I was not that strong of a swimmer I was probably nine or ten years old and I literally could remember trying to get to the shore and going underwater several times and like coming up and gasping for air and swallowing water and and then suddenly someone um, actually, it turned out to be my friend, um, came and slid his arm underneath mine and pulled me to the shore. 
And uh, I was like, whew. You know, that's scary. You know, water being your face up over your head is a scary thing. Um, that kid turned out to be later in his life a, a Navy rescue swimmer. So I feel like I inspired him. Um, he was like, well, that was easy. You know, maybe I, maybe I should do this. And and because uh, I, I didn't see it. Actually, I moved not long after that. And I didn't see this guy for like 10, 12 years. And then I ran into him. And I was like, so what do you do? And he goes, well, I'm a rescue swimmer for the Navy. And I was like really <laughs> so it started with me and now you're just doing it for a job um but that feeling of like water being like you know being trapped and coming up over your head it's it's a feeling of desperation it's a feeling of hopelessness it's a it's a feeling of fear um it's a breaking point like you just like you you reach a point where it's like i don't i don't know if i'm going to survive this i don't know if i'm going to come back up the next time i go down and, and it's not a good place to be. And this is what King David is describing his life as. And we don't know exactly what's going on in the king's life. And he doesn't give us any specifics of the situation. And I'm kind of glad he doesn't because I think it helps us better to relate to him when he says, I was in this pit, this miry pit. Because all of us in our life at different times and different circumstances and situations have been there. Like we've been in situations and places where we're like, oh, I don't know if I can survive this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. This seems impossible. This seems like I can't do it. And, and we've all been there. And so I think it helps us because he doesn't go into specifics. It helps us relate to, to his story in our, and put ourselves in that place. Um, in fact, if I just read this, I can just kind of feel my anxiety level just kind of like rising when I just like you read those words and you start thinking about situations that maybe you've been in and, and you can feel what what the what the King David is describing and he's describing this pit that he was in the second image that I see here is the king's cry uh, in verse one he says I waited patiently for the Lord he turned to me and he heard my cry uh, John Piper says one of the reasons God loved David so much was because he cried so much. Uh, Psalm 6 6 describes this. It says, I am worn out from groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. And, and the thing is, God wants us to cry out to Him. And David understood that. God is not frustrated with our tears, He's not frustrated with our cries for help. He doesn't grow weary and impatient with us when we cry about the same thing over and over. He doesn't, he doesn't grow impatient with us. Uh, you won't even wake him up, okay? It's not like, you know, if it's the middle of the night and you're stressed about something and you're crying out, you're not going to wake him up. He doesn't need sleep, you know? He, he's beyond that, so that's not going to be a bother to him. I can remember when my kids were little, Emma, I remember one time when she was pretty small, um, we had put her to bed and then she was crying and, you know, you try to be patient and, you know, but sometimes when you're a parent and you put your kid to bed, it's like, whew, now it's our time. It's finally just the two of us. We don't, you know, have to be answering a million questions and dealing with a million things. And so I remember I went in there and I was like, Emma, what's wrong? What's the matter? And, uh, she was like, I'm scared. I'm like, well, what, what are you scared? You know, and she's like, it's dark. You know, and I try to use logic and, and try to say, well, 
it's not that dark. I can see you. See, you could see me. It's not that dark. And, and, and she's like, well, it's dark to me. And I haven't won an argument with that girl since, you know, like I, you can't argue with that logic, you know, like, and, uh, you know, so did I just say, well, you know, toughen up kid. It's time to get over being scared of the dark. No, this is my baby girl. And I didn't want her to be afraid and I didn't want her to be scared. And so I turned on the bathroom light and I made sure, see, you can see the light there. Is that good? Are you all right? And, and, uh, and, and so like as much as I loved and love my daughter and would do anything for her, God loves her even more and would do even more and has done even more for her. And, 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 and he wants us to cry out to him. He's not afraid or irritated by our cries. He wants us to feel secure and safe uh, and know that he loves us. But have you ever noticed how often when we have facing a difficulty or a struggle in our life that the last person we cry out to sometimes is God? We, we try to do it on our own. We try to do it with our own strength. Uh, we try to figure it out by ourselves. Uh, we don't want to ask for help. Uh, and so we we don't take it to God. And, and really, the first thing that should come to our mind is, is to cry out to God. Because he's a God who loves us and cares for us. And, and the essence, really, of salvation is crying out to God and admitting, I don't have it all together. I can't do this on my own. I need you. And, and God wants us to do that. Did you notice what David says in verse 4? He says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. He didn't say, blessed is the man who sucks it up and deals with it on his own. Nope. He says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Uh, When you're in a pit, you cry out to God. Another image I see here is the king's patience. Uh, Verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Uh, I like how the message puts it. He says, I waited and waited and waited for God. Have you ever felt like that? with God, you just feel like you are waiting for God to work and you're waiting for God to answer and you're waiting to see what God's going to do. And, and, and waiting for the Lord is a big part of the Christian life. And, uh, and it's not always easy. We are not patient people. I don't like to wait. Um, I don't know how many of you like to, to wait, but we're not generally patient people. And Psalms 40 teaches us that sometimes in life we have to learn to wait. And we have to be patient in our waiting. Um, I remember Joe Belzer, when he was here at CCF, would always say that waiting on God requires a deepening trust. It's not a, I think God can, or I hope God can, but it's a, it's a confident knowledge that God will deliver you from the pit. And it's in times of waiting that our, our faith, I think, sometimes is stretched and I wonder sometimes if God makes us wait just to see if, if we really do trust him or maybe he's just trying to build up our faith and trust in him. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope. While we wait for God, we have our hope in him. Uh, we put our hope in him and his unfailing love. Uh, when will God come? When will he answer? We don't know, but he'll come at the right time. Uh, This is all we can know, 
And that sometimes has to be enough. And that's what Joe was talking about when he says a deepening trust. Um, and that takes time to get there. Like, don't expect to just, you know, have that deepening trust right away. It takes time of your faith growing, um, seeing God work, seeing God answer uh, for that faith to, to deepen and that trust to grow in him. This brings us to the fourth image that I see, and that is the picture of the king's rescue. The king's rescue. We have a God who rescues us every day. I think sometimes he rescues us and we don't even know it. You know, I think there are, there are ways that God is working um, and we don't even recognize or realize what he has done. Uh, but the, the phrase in verse one, it says, he turned to me and he heard my cry. This is an image of a father inclining his ear to hear the cry of his son. Um, it's like he's leaning forward to catch a faint or distant sound. Um, when Ethan was younger, learning how to swim, and he became a really good swimmer. In fact, he was a lifeguard, and, and uh, he's a good swimmer now. But when he was really little, and he was learning how to swim, I remember we were at a friend's house, and they had a little above-ground pool. It was probably about four feet deep, but he was probably like three feet tall. So it was over his head. And I remember I was in the pool with him, and we had one of those little floating noodles, you know, that you can sit on. And so he's got his arms around that noodle, and he's floating in the pool. And so I decided that I was going to get out and grab another noodle for me to sit on, and uh, so we could just float in there together. And um, and so I said, are you good? Are you, you know, got the noodle and everything? And he's like, yep. And so I hopped out, and I walked over to where the noodles were, and... I didn't hear anything, but I just had this very strong feeling I needed to turn around. And I, so I turned around, and Ethan, I see, the first thing I see as I'm turning around is the noodle floating by itself, right? <laughs> With no kid. <laughs> and and I, then I'm looking, and Ethan is like going underwater, and he's like, his eyes are wide open. Like they're just like, as wide as they could be, and his mouth is wide open because he's yelling. He's like yelling underwater, which I can't hear him yelling because he's underwater, and and he's just like sinking, and I'm just like, oh, bad parent, bad parent, you know, and jumping into the water, and I grab him, and I pull him up, and like he's just choking and spitting out, you know, water, and and when he gets calmed down, he's like, did you, did you hear me yell? And I said, no, you were yelling underwater, you know, and, and I think God kind of just moved me, like he turned me around. Um, and, and, and so literally, King David is crying out to God in verse two. It says, he lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. And, and it, I think it's good to know, for us to know, that, that we serve a God that sees everything, that he it doesn't miss things. He hears even our, our silent cries for help. And he, and he does come, and he lifts us up out of the muddy pit, and he sets our feet on a rock, and he gives us a firm place to stand. And he moves us from a, a place of desperation and fear to a place of security and comfort. And after I had lifted Ethan up out of the water, man, he, he was like, he didn't want me to go anywhere else. He wanted to be right there in my arms, you know, like he wasn't quite ready to hang on to just a noodle, 
by himself at that point. You know, he wanted to be safe and secure, um, and he felt safe and secure as long as I was close. And, and there's really no better place for us to be than close to a God who loves us and who rescues us and who hears us when we cry. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Uh, for King David, the rescue may have been healing from some disease. Maybe it was deliverance from his enemies. It may have been deliverance from the guilt of sin in his life. We don't know from the psalm. But what we do know is that the God of David uh, can deliver us from any sort of pit and mud that we find ourselves in. He can deliver us from anything that might try to destroy our faith. Another image I see is the king's song. Verse 3, it says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Now, you remember the nation of Israel, uh, when they came out of Egypt, they got to the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh and his armies came, and they were like crying out to Moses, Why did you bring us out here just to die? Pharaoh's going to kill us. And, and Moses says, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And God did deliver them in a big way. They went across on dry land, and Pharaoh and his armies were destroyed. And afterwards, they wrote a song, a new song of praise of God's deliverance and faithfulness. In Exodus 15, they sang, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in splendor, doing impossibilities. This is the God we serve, a God who can do the impossible. Walter Brueggemann, in his book, The Psalms and the Life of Faith, said, the impossibility for life and the incomparability of God belong together. There are times in our life we may not feel like singing. We may feel like we've lost our song. Maybe a dream has died. But God in his faithfulness rescues us and gives us a new song. Uh, I told you before, uh, before we came here, Stephanie and I were missionaries in Taiwan. And uh, we were there for about four years, just short of four years. We studied Chinese for three years. Hardest thing I ever did was trying to learn Chinese. I still remember a few phrases, but I don't remember very much anymore. Um, but we, we love the people in Taiwan, and we love being there, and we felt like God directed us there, and we, we felt like we were, we were reaching people for the Lord there. Um, but then our son, Ethan, was one when we went. Uh, he was not talking. Uh, he had a, a severe speech delay, and, uh, and so we ended up having to come back to the States uh, to get him speech therapy. And in fact, he went for speech therapy all the way up through sixth grade. And, uh, and that, was, that was an easy decision, for one, to, because we wanted to help our son. But it was also a very difficult time because we felt like this dream of serving the Lord on the mission field in Taiwan uh, had died. You know, we, it was very unexpected. And, and suddenly we were back in the States and we're trying to figure out where, where we're going to go. And for a whole year, we were kind of homeless. Uh, we didn't have a place of our own. We stayed under the generosity of other people in, in their homes, like random people from the church would let us stay with them for a couple of weeks. We say, you know, just, we bounced around and we had a, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And so that's not easy to stay in somebody else's house. And, 
And, and so that year was really difficult. We spent a lot of time doing all of what David's doing here. We were crying out to God, and we were trying to be wait patiently, and we we're trying to figure out, God, what are you, what are you doing uh, in our lives? Where, where do you want us to go? And, uh, and then he ends up bringing us here. Now, I would never would have guessed or picked Kirksville, Missouri, probably, um, but turns out it was the best place for us, and we've been here, like, ever since, so, like, 21 years, like, uh, and I love it here, the predictability of it. I love everything about it. And, and, uh, and so like God gave us a new song to sing and, and gave us new reasons to, to praise him and to worship him. And we saw God work and he saw God help our families. And it was amazing. Uh, believe David when he says, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. One more image that I see that I, then we're going to close. And that is, I see the King's influence. Did you catch the last part of verse three? It says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. You see, when people look at our lives and they see us responding in faith in the midst of difficult times or, or difficulties or struggles, and they see us responding in faith or trusting the Lord, when they see us not lose hope, uh, but wait on God and wait patiently on him, and then when they see God deliver us and, and we give him the praise and the glory that he deserves, that, that, that has an influence on people. They notice that in your life. And uh, it, it says, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. They will see the truth that we know about God and, and cause them to put their faith in him as well. I love verse 10 in the message where he says, I didn't keep the news of your ways a secret. I didn't keep it to myself. I told it all, how dependable you are, how thorough. I didn't hold back pieces of love and truth for myself alone. I told it all, let the congregation know the whole story. And that's why I love that here at CCF we have share these testimonies. Um, that's why it's so important for us to hear each other's stories. Uh, because we all have a story and we all have a testimony of how God has worked in our lives. And when we, when we share that, it, it influences other people. It strengthens their faith. It helps them to put their faith and trust in the Lord. And, and so I don't know where you are tonight in your journey, in your walk with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're in a pit right now. Uh, maybe all you can see are your troubles or your sin in your life, and, and you're despairing, and you don't know what to do. I don't know where you are this evening, but I do know that we have a God who does know. And we can cry out to him. And we have a father in heaven that sees us and turns to us. He hears us. And we can trust him to rescue us, to lift us up, to set our feet on a rock. I love looking at these verses because you notice our part and God's part in these verses. Our part is cry out to the Lord, wait patiently for him. And God's part is everything else. He's the one who turns to us. He's the one who hears us. He's the one that rescues us. He sets our feet upon a rock. He makes our steps secure. He gives us a new song of praise. I was going to play U2's song 40, but I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to close in prayer. If you want to hear it, I can play it for you afterwards. Um, or you can just Google it and listen to it. It's a beautiful song. Uh, it's basically the lyrics of Psalm 40. So, uh, But let me pray for us tonight. 
Father, we are poor and needy. We need your help each day. Uh, lift us up, deliver us. Uh, Father, shower us with your mercy. Remind us of your salvation and your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, help us not to conceal your love and your truth, but help us to rejoice and be glad in it and share it with those around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.